Welcome back to 24 Faithful. My name is Joshua Rivers, your host, also joined by Bradley Adams and Joel Wood. And we're excited to be able to continue going through 24 season number one. We are beginning in episode number 13. Uh, we ended last week talking about Jack rescuing his family and they're flying off into the sunset. Well, not really. It's noontime, but they're flying off into uh, uh, back to CTU thinking that all is well and there's no other nefarious plots going on, but we know better and we get into that today starting um, episode number 14. I think I said 13, but 14 is where we're starting and we're going to be going to about episode number 19 covering quite a bit of stuff here. So Definitely glad to be able to do this. And so, Joel, this time, why don't you go ahead and kick us off with your thoughts as we are looking at how this part takes off with Jack Bauer's family basically being fake, uh, safe and then Jack being interrogated and things like that. So, Well... <laughs> Episode episode thirteen ends with kind of a you know a nice little bow on the on the first act of the story. It's it's kind of, it's kind of funny thinking that you know if the, if season one would have ended in episode thirteen, who knows how long we could have had Terry Bauer? I mean, let's be honest here. Who knows how long we could have been subjected to Terry Bauer? My my disdain for Terry Bauer has not waned in the last week. Um, and, and trust me, episodes 14 through the rest of the season, Terry was like at the peak of my annoyance, but that's another story. Um, but then Jack gets back to CTU and he gets interrogated by, um, Alberta Green and... I believe that's our first introduction to uh, Ryan Chappelle, isn't it? We haven't seen yep, him up until now, have we? Yep. Okay, so that's our first introduction to Mr. Chappelle, who just has the look of somebody you want to hate. <laughs> I mean, I know he, <laughs> he, he kind of redeemed himself, you know, in later seasons, but he just has the look on his face that you just want to hate. I kind of felt like episode 14 was kind of a uh, transition episode. There wasn't too much going on other than, um, you know, of course, them taking Terry and Kim to the safe house and Jack being interrogated and things like that. But episode 14 was kind of a transition episode to what we would, you know, later, later get to in episode 15 through, you know, the rest of the season. Yeah, my notes are I've called it a breather um, for Jack particularly, but in, in a general sense, it is very much a breather. I mean, it starts with the last time that the Bauer family are all together, three of them landing at CTU, and it ends with David Palmer arriving at CTU to talk to Jack Bauer, which comes completely out of nowhere. But in between, there is a lot of, sort of like you say, transition, Jack being interrogated by Alberta. Um, I think it's in 14 that he actually eats something, um, I mean, he de- he completely devours it. Clearly, he done um, a theme that is not recurred throughout the rest of the seasons. I must say, but yeah, it, it is. Uh, I mean, we talked a little bit last week, didn't we, about the the relentless intensity of it? And, and we talked when we started this that 
even though the later seasons feel more of that sort of fast and furious, fast paced action film type approach, this season still has a, a real layer of tension and almost dread to it the whole way through. Plus, 13 episodes maintain that beyond belief. And this one is actually a bit of a stock take, right? This is where we are. I think there's a, a little, re- almost like a recap from Alberta Green. She actually asked Tony, give me the headlines on where they are with, you know, Palmer's assassination attempt, what Jack's done, all, all that stuff. It does very much feel like a little bit of a mini reset of, well, all this stuff has happened with Jack stopping Ira Gaines and saving his family. And we're going to kind of continue that. But actually here, let's just pause, <coughs> reset, and then start again. Mm-hmm. I think one thing too throughout season one we're seeing a lot of the the bureaucracy aspect of ctu being established and so and so you see jack a lot sitting at in in the office doing miscellaneous paperwork or phone calls and it's like he's kind of sitting around and waiting and everyone else is kind of doing similar things and you're seeing all the different things all the different uh anytime there's any infraction of a of a rule or something like that. There's all the, these, the red tape and everything that's, that's being shown through. And, and so I think they're like really overemphasizing all of that in this particular season. And you see that in future seasons, but I don't think they spend as much time on that because they're establishing it here. And so, so there's that, but I, I really like how you see Jack during the first 13 episodes, he's breaking protocols all over the place because of his family getting captured. He's being put in very difficult circumstances and it's a very high intense situation that there's not time to wait for different protocols and things like that. And so, and so he's getting in there and doing what he has to do um, as he makes um, comment in season seven, when uh, he's being interrogated by the Senate he makes a statement, I can't, I'm, I'm not going to get it right, probably, the exact quote, but he's saying that when there's a situation, I'm activated to come in and basically take care of business. And so, and, and that's what you see Jack doing in the first half of this season. Of course, he continues that too, but he does that. And then he gets to the place to where there, there, there's a calm, it, it seems like everything's over, and Jack is more than willing to sitting and it's like okay i did the i did the crime let's go through let's take care of this i'm not going to sugarcoat it this is what happened and and you just kind of see that characteristic through jack it's like he he doesn't shy away from the fact of what he did um or or try to excuse it necessarily or um hide it or shove it under the rug or whatever yeah that's pretty much a running theme throughout like you said all of the seasons as a matter of fact, he says it multiple times throughout the rest the rest of the seasons after after he breaks protocol and after he commits I don't know how many crimes <laughs> in 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 the in the course of you know accomplishing his mission. And it seems like the CTU director or um, whoever's in charge always tries to at some point stop him or interrogate him or uh, even in some cases arrest him. And he always goes back to, you know, if, if you, if you, if you want to arrest me at the, at, 
if you want to arrest me when this is all over, fine, but at least, at least let me make it through this day. So he's always willing to face punishment for his crimes, just as long as you let him basically save the day. Seek forgiveness, not permission, is basically Jack's mantra. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, of course, there's a, a new mastermind, or, or we realize that it was the mastermind all along. Of uh, we, we see Gaines was just a pawn. He was just one little piece. And <clears throat> as he is taken out in um, 13, uh, actually prior to that, we're introduced to Andre Drazen. And so we, we see that, and there's the whole conversation about Andre being um, very displeased with the way Gaines has taken things, and when things went wrong, he's, um, as uh, Bradley, as you pointed out, the quote where he says uh, that when you go to plan B, not plan A, recycled. And, and so we see as we get into this that um, he starts with a quote very similar to that where he says plan B is already in effect as he's talking to Kevin um, right before Kevin and his team are executed. And, uh, and so you see that whole thing taking place right there. And I, I just thought that was kind of interesting and neat the way that they did that basically saying, okay, now we got a new regime that is targeting people, but basically nobody knows it's happening yet. I mean, Andre is a brilliant mastermind, isn't he? Like you say, the, the fact that he used the quote to Kevin, having used it to Gaines similarly, um, works very nicely for us viewers. Um, but yeah, I mean, we sort of, this is where we start to drip feed and we'll come on to Palmer and Jack in a minute, but it's where we sort of get to start being drip fed all of this stuff about Jack realizing um, Nightfall was about, this is all about the Drazen mission, about, about Nightfall, that Palmer was involved. Um, and I mean, we get in the scene between Andre and Alexis, we get a huge information dump um, in episode 15 where we sort of learn a bit about their past. Um, it's, it's a really nice scene. But we have also that first scene with Alexis, the one you just mentioned where Andre calls Kevin. I mean, that is a masterpiece scene. The, the, the build of that, the music, which is called Alexis on the soundtrack, no coincidence, um, as you sort of see Kevin load everything into the, into the, out of the truck, into the, the safe house sort of outbuilding. You, kind of, you see Alexis there at the very start of the scene. You know that something's going to happen here. And the music is beautifully tense but from Sean Callery and it just builds and builds and builds to a stunning, stunning moment where he blows up the safe out the, the, the outbuilding, shoots Kevin and just walks away. And it, it's just brilliant. Yeah, you kind of uh you kind of start seeing the the threads drop in episode fourteen and to the point to where Kevin talks to, to Andre and Kevin's <laughs> Kevin's real confident about being able to, you know, find Terry and Kim, take out Jack, even though even though Jack, you know, beat him down in like two seconds earlier in the in the in the season, but and seeing that and seeing Alexis just Basically, get basically shoot him from I don't know how far away, like it was nothing, and then to to walk up and just basically execute him on the spot. You 
kind of you kind of get a sense that this was really never about gains. Like they wanted they wanted gains to accomplish their mission to kind of take the heat off, you know, away from them to where they could have Jack and Palmer taken out and they wouldn't have to get their hands dirty. But once they realized that Gaines was not going to accomplish that mission, that's when they had to take matters in their, into their own hands. And I thought the the music and the buildup and, you know, even once Kevin sent his whole team into that safe house, I knew that none of them were coming out. <laughs> so as soon as he sent his team in there, I knew none of them were coming out. I mean, with the introduction of Andre, I say introduction of Andre, but the introduction of Alexis and the growing involvement of Andre, there is almost a feeling here of, okay, we've, we've had the amateurs, you know, we've had Gaines doing his, he's okay, but he, he you know, he hired Rick and Dan to kidnap the, the women. And, you know, it's a little bit, a little bit amateur hour, Kevin trying to present, present his credentials, an ex-DEA person. And he found this witness that no one else could find. It does feel a little bit like, okay, I'm just trying to salvage myself here. We've done a shoddy job. We're not very good at this. And now the professionals come in. Alexis comes in and kills Kevin and his team with no fuss, no hesitation, quick like that. Andre, complete command. Plan A failed. And four hours ago, he was like, nope, that's good. we're not going to recycle this. We're just going to move on. We're going to get this done no matter what. Now it's our turn. Now it's the turn of the people who are actually going to make this happen. Mm-hmm. Or so they thought. <laughs> <laughs> And so, yeah, it's really interesting the way that they developed that, the whole storyline with the Drazens behind all that. And, of course, as more things unfold with the history and, um, spoiler alert, dad still being alive and <laughs> and all that. And so all the different pieces that are um, revealed through this, it just kind of really um, drives us home that the, the extent that some people will go to for personal revenge and, and things. I mean, this is such a, an elaborate thing that they're, they're doing to be able to go through all this. And it, I mean, they, they probably could have easily just hired a, I mean, so someone, someone lower end or whatever to be able to take the heat and they get thrown in jail for the rest of their life. And I, I don't know, but anyway, so it, the thing it, is, it I mean, is they did that the way they do that. They, they did that with games, didn't they really? I mean, games was the full guy. If Gaines, if Gaines kills Jack, Terry, Kim, and David Palmer, he all, all roads lead back to him. Essentially, he's he's the middleman. He's the one that will take the fall, and the Drains will get their revenge on Palmer and Bauer, and all will be right for them. But it, you know, it didn't work. And as Palmer, uh, David, and Jack end up discussing, and as sort of Mason highlights to Jack in a few hours' time this whole thing essentially boils down to it being a personal vendetta from the family of Vic Drazen against Jack Bauer and David Palmer. And ultimately there's no one better to enact the personal vendetta than the people who have the personal vendetta. Uh, I, I think in the, once you, you know, watch the totality of the whole season um, and you know, the, the spoiler alert of how his dad gets out of this maximum security prison that nobody knows exists. 
I think I think what what you see is what they were essentially trying to do was make sure that Jack and Palmer were dead by the time uh, Andre was going to break his father out of prison because he knew that it wasn't going to be easy getting his father out of prison if Jack was alive to mess it up. So I think it was, it was a personal vendetta. And also he wanted to be able to tell his dad, you know, when he got him out of prison, Hey dad, guess what? <laughs> I killed the people that <laughs> they killed, they killed our family, you know? So I think that was the, uh, that was the intent was to try to have them eliminated um, because Jack and Palmer were essentially the only ones left or spoiler alert, the only ones we thought were left from the nightfall mission that knew um, about his dad. So you kill them, get your dad out of prison. Nobody, know, nobody knows the difference. So I think that was the, the intent of the trying to have him dead as soon as possible because they were going to go through with their mission to break their father out of prison regardless. Weirdly, there's not much pro. Well, there's basically no progress. In fact, on the killing of, of Palmer and, and Jack, I mean, Terry and Kim obviously get off roaded and, and all of that stuff. Um, Alexis is trying to get in with <clears throat> Elizabeth Nash and that's going to get him closer to the Senator. But ultimately like there's no, you know, there's no assassination attempts to stop in this, these six episodes that we're talking about. Um, Jack is never in particular danger, um, apart from one of his own from one of his own agents. So there, there is that. Yes, he was. They were trying to get rid of Jack and David as soon as possible, but also their focus really does shift in this point. And certainly, Andre's focus shifts here in these six hours towards that greater goal of rescuing their father. Of course, we as the the people watching, we get to see all of this unfolding before. Jack and some of the others get to find this information out. And I, I think the first ones to be able to figure this out was David Palmer and his team to be able to put the connection between Jack and Palmer and the Drazens and, and all that. And of course that's what led to Palmer going to CTU to confront Jack. Um, and so I'm not hundred percent sure what David was thinking would happen at the end of that. Um, other than, other than having that confrontation, but, but anyway, they, they did that. Of course, um, Jack, um, was kept away from Palmer. Um, they, they were keeping that separation and, uh, finally David Palmer pulled, uh, called, called, uh, uh, called in a favor to be able to pull the strings and get them together. And that first meeting of Jack and Palmer is definitely one of my, most favorite scenes out of all of 24. Um, I can't say it's number one, but it is really, really up there when you finally see Jack and Palmer meet and you, you see the animosity that's there. I mean, Jack uh, obviously has knows the full side of his side, his picture and Palmer's coming in accusing and, and, and Jack is, is like, no, this is just what happened. It was this and this and this. And then he's like, you were never told this and it's like light bulbs started going off. And so it was, it was just a really good scene. Yeah. I think, um, cause when, when, when Palmer went into the, into the conference room to meet with Jack, um, 
to my knowledge, if I remember correctly, I don't think he really knew that the Drazens were behind this at the time. Um, when he went into the the conference room with Jack, he was fully expecting, you know, Jack to come clean with who he was working for, you know, under the assumption that Jack was the one that was paid to take the hit out on Palmer. And then you see Jack start to explain what happened. And you just, you look at, you look at Palmer's face and I'll never forget it. You see like the light bulb go off. Like you can see it in his face, the light bulb go off. Like he was just starting to realize that why Jack was doing what he was doing. And then Jack saying, you were never told any of this, were you? Because if you think about it, pretty much everybody that was in charge of CTU up until that point was trying to put Jack in, in, in jail. <laughs> they were trying to put Jack in prison. Um, so, you know, there's no way Chappelle or Alberta Green is going to relay any information to Palmer that could possibly weaken the, the blowback on, on Jack or possibly give him an out or an excuse or a reason for doing what he's doing. Um, so, and once he realized that, okay, Jack is not paid to put out a hit on me, so who is? And that's when, you know, they started putting the pieces together that, okay, we're the only two left from that nightfall mission. So, and it has to be the Drazens. And at this point, I don't think they had realized that Alexis was the was the other hitter that was in town yet. Um, but this guy, Robert Ellis, you know, went through a lot of work to make sure that they never, you know, were in the same room together. And here they are, not only in the same room, but placing a call to Robert Ellis to see what, see what he has on the Drazens. I mean, like a lot of the stuff in the first 13 episodes, this in episode 15, 16, where Jack is working through it with David and Milo comes into it and Robert Ellis is involved in it as well. There is a very, very methodical feeling to everything. It does very much feel like you are just putting, I mean, not in a bad way, but putting block A, block B, block C, taking your time, making sure that you drip feed the right information at the right time for these characters and for us. And it works. It works really well. I mean, Sutherland and Haysbert are at their absolute best in that first scene, that argument. Um, I mean, it, it's great when Jack has to sort of stifle himself, stop himself from screaming at, at David. Um, but I mean, they're, they're, they're absolutely brilliant the whole time they're interacting. And it's just so entertaining to watch. You wouldn't think of it, would you? If I described to you, you're going to watch a, um, you know, a, a federal agent of particularly high ranking and a senator sit in a room for 45 minutes and look through, you know, doc, old documents and old files and old, old an analytic reports and talk to a former colleague. You, if I describe that to you, you're not going to think well, that's going to be particularly interesting, are you? But you watch it and it, and it's, it's thrilling. It's so engaging the whole time. Yeah, it's, it, it's really cool because because that's where you really start to see the relationship between Jack and David to really come to head. Of course, they, they have a, a, a disagreement and, and how to proceed a little bit later when they get to the hotel. But um, 
but but other than that, I mean, it's like it's like they're they're working together. David realizes that Jack really has his best interest in mind, and the and, and like looking at the whole picture, it's like okay, what's best for for making sure everyone comes out or as many people as possible come out the way we should and capture the bad guy. And and so you see David really understanding and appreciating that for Jack and Jack really um, seeing the character of David and and realizing realizing that and you just really see the relationship start the bond during these couple episodes uh, quite a bit. And it just really lays the groundwork for anything else that comes with between Jack and and uh, Palmer. When you when you look at at especially that first scene in the conference room, when you think about Jack and Palmer's relationship over the four some odd seasons that you know they they were together. And you think of the actors, um, Kiefer and, and, and Dennis, if they didn't have the chemistry that they had in that first meeting, who knows you know, how the, the future of that relationship would have played out. It's, it's amazing to watch the, the instant chemistry that those two, and of course they've been acting for a long time even before this. So, you know, they're professionals, they're not, they're not rookies or new to this or anything like that, but you know, certain certain actors when they get in a room together, they just they just have it. You know, it's, it's nothing to explain it. They just have the chemistry, and every scene that Jack and Palmer were in, from that first scene until their last scene, it's just you can tell that they just had instant chemistry with one another, and that's important because. Jack and Jack and Palmer was I'll venture to say the most important relationship through the first four seasons of the show. The next thing that that we're talking about here is transitioning to the uh <laughs> the time here where after Jack gets taken in and he's taken in for questioning and all that kind of stuff, at the same time Terry and Kim are taken to a safe house or a not so safe house. And, and, and they're whatever treated medically and examined and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and I know you put on here, Bradley, that they never should have been taken to the safe house. They should have taken it back to CTU. And I completely agree with that because at this point they, they thought they already uncovered the mole. They thought everyone at CTU basically was trustworthy now. It would have been the best, most logical place to be able to do it. So, taking him to a safe house didn't really make sense. And it seemed weird, too, because if they didn't think that there was a whole lot of threat, why take him to a safe house? I don't know. I mean, I guess there was still an element of of threat. Maybe there's something out there still, but I don't know. It, it just didn't make sense to me, the whole situation with them going to the safe house. I mean, obviously, the concept of taking them to a safe house, somewhere safe, away that people don't know about, where someone can't get to them, was correct. We, I mean, we see that very, very quickly at the hospital where your man Mayavik is pretending to be an FBI agent. Spoiler, he's not an FBI agent. Um, so, I mean, that was the right decision. But I kept, when I was watching these, I think I, I noted it down very early that 
why do they not go back to CTU? And there's never really a good explanation given for that. Maybe it is that sense of, well, Jamie was un uncovered as a mole. You know, Richard Walsh thought she was trustworthy. Is there maybe someone else that isn't trustworthy at CTU? I, I get that feeling. But, I mean, it's never really stated. It never, it never rings true to me that the best place for them is a safe house somewhere fairly unsecured. I mean, I know they have, they have a couple of agents, um, one outside, one inside. They have some agents across the street doing, you know, uh, telephone repairs and, and uh, as covers and, and things like this. But it never feels like, it never feels like that's the best place for them to be. And it ends up, I mean, this whole, this, the storyline with um, Terry and Kim in these middle episodes, and I know Joel's going to, going to like me when I say this, but this is, this is not a good run. It has to be said. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's terrible, I will say, but it's not, I mean, I, I think it's more dull than it is bad, to be quite honest with you. I think there's a lot of this that just feels like a little bit monotonous and a little bit like we are filling time. I don't ever feel like it's consistently actively bad. There are some very bad bits in this, but I don't think overall it's terrible i just think it's not very interesting at all joel has for, for, obviously this is a this is a podcast but we're watching each other and joel is sat back in his chair with his hands on his head and i saw i saw josh laughing in that as well as i was as i was reading through that um, so maybe my prediction that joel will like me for that is a little bit a little bit off because <laughs> I, I i told i told myself when i got on this podcast today right before i got on here i was like i'm gonna go easy because I kind of I kind of laid into Terry last week, so I was like, I'm gonna go easy this week. You know, hopefully there'll be enough plot threads between episodes 14 and 19 that maybe we won't get to too much Terry Mauer today. But then then you had to throw the softball. You had to you had to just lay it up for me. <sighs> Amnesia Terry was by far the most annoying version of Terry that we had throughout the entire season. Like, it's, it's, and the, and the whole, Kim wasn't as bad. Kim wasn't as bad as she was at certain points. She wasn't that interesting, but she wasn't bad. I just, she was just kind of, eh, she was just kind of there for me. Terry, on the other hand, you know, from the amnesia to getting the ride to, the, the restaurant, I think that's the restaurant, and and also quick shout out to Polly Perrette, the one that gave her the ride. I'd, I'd completely forgotten that she was in this season, and of course, like a like a year, a little over a year or so later, you know, she joins NCIS. Completely forgot she was in this season. Major shout out to Polly Perrette, but. From the whole, and, and when she got picked up with, by her, I guess, friend, and taken back home, it's just, it was, it was very unnecessary. The, the, mo the most interesting part of the entire amnesia arc to me was when she almost got killed, and then Tony came in at the last minute, and I think... To my knowledge, I think that's the first time he's gotten out of CTU the whole season. And then he came in at the last second and 
<clears throat> that was the first glimpse of the Tony that we would come to know in later seasons because it always seems that right before tragedy is about to occur, here comes Tony with a gun at the last second, you know, shooting the bad guys. <laughs> so, I mean, that happens like two or three different times throughout the course of the series. Um, so other, other than that, the entire amnesia storyline, the, the constant, you know, nagging, asking every five minutes, where's Jack? Um, where's Kim? Um, her, her voice. I don't know if he, I don't know if she was written to sound like that or if that's just natural for her during that point in time. But it made me almost put my TV on mute when whenever her talking scenes came up. So that's about the nicest way I can put the Terry Bauer situation in the context. Um, she was not the, the, the part that, that one part that jumped out at me was that she was actually not as bad was the conversation between her and Nina, you know, during the debrief where, you know, everything finally comes out into the open, you know, about Nina and Jack and Terry knowing and even, even, even though, you know, Terry was kind of a, kind of a jerk in that scene, you could feel and understand why, because she's basically being debriefed by the woman that slept with her husband. <laughs> so in that respect, I kind of understood it. But other than that, throw the whole storyline out the window. Terry at the safe house is great. I mean, Leslie Hope has this like thousand yard stare as you kind of see her realize that Nina was the one. And, it, and it's great. And she's great in the scene where she actually confronts Nina about it. Uh, I think she conveys the the pregnancy test result really well as well. Um, that that whole bit in uh, sort of hour and a half in the safe house, Leslie Hope is great. And Terry actually seems like a, it works as a character. The stuff with the amnesia doesn't. I, I think that's fairly simple. Um, but the stuff of the safe house does incidentally give us the one and only scene of Kim's that I absolutely hate season one. And that is her very being very much a brat complaining to her mother that they didn't talk to her about having, about trying for another child. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I cringe when I watch that. I, this is seriously, seriously. You've, you've just, you've just told her that seriously. Like I, I'm not hearing things. You have genuinely just complained to your mother about that. That's really your going to be your approach here. Okay. That, that was not her shiny moment. <laughs> no, it wasn't. And it's a shame because actually a lot of the stuff with Kim in this run, I mean, this, when she got, when she doesn't, we know she can, we know that she can trust Tony. We know this, but when she decides that actually this isn't safe, this isn't Nina, this isn't the person that I know I can trust. Again, foresight, we know that she can't trust Nina, but she knows that she can trust Nina at this point. She doesn't know Tony. She doesn't trust CT. She doesn't trust the police. She doesn't really trust anyone. And she says, so to, Decide actually, no, this is not the right way to play it. The best way to play it is to go to Rick, who, yes, kidnapped me, but also helped me escape. And I do have trust in him. That is sensible. Kim actually seems quite smart. And there's a great scene at Rick's house. I think there's a couple of scenes actually like this, where she basically just tells Rick, sort yourself out, sort your life out, because this is terrible. And and 
that really works for me. I think actually Kim, having had that horrific scene at the safe house, complaining that she's going to have a sibling and, oh, she wasn't consulted. Let's not, con- you know, let's not consult the 16-year-old about this accidental child. Weird. She actually makes up for it in future, se- future episodes. Yeah, apparently she never got the talk of when two people love each other. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't so, get the anyway. birds and the bees talk. <laughs> <laughs> she never heard that, apparently. But <laughs> but yeah, so, so and, and of course, the whole thing that started the amnesia was, was when Terry, they're, they're escaping from the safe house. They get out, they're speeding down the that country road, and uh, Terry thinks that, that they're clear, and so she pulls off to the side in this dirt right next to a cliff and decides to get out to go back and check. And that whole thing doesn't make any sense to me. If it was me in that situation, it's like, I'm not going to, if I think I lost them, I'm not going to stop and go and look and see if they, because if we didn't lose them, guess what? They're catching up even closer. And so to me, it's like, I'm going to keep going until, until I, I get to some public place where there's other people, there's there's things where, I mean, obviously, she knows that she can't trust certain people. She doesn't necessarily know who she can trust, but she's probably better off going into a random public area as opposed to being secluded. But so that just really didn't make any sense and and all that. And so I think she does the right thing going off road. Actually, she, she does the right thing fully, going off at that junction. She knows she hasn't been seen. She knows she was far enough ahead to avoid Yovan's sight. The, the problem is that she, for some reason, and I don't understand why, apart from it was in the script because they wanted the next bit of plot to happen, she pulls over to the side of the dirt road on the edge of the cliff. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an off-road dirt track by a cliff. No one's going to be coming down if you just stop in the middle of the road. I, yeah. I think I think I've been hard enough on Terry this this particular episode, so I'm just gonna let that one go. You can have, I'll tell you what you can have, to counter that. You can have my positive thought about the Tony saving her scene, which is one of the greatest scenes in 24. I mean, it, it is just perfection. Um, yeah. I mean, Sean Callery, I could just talk about forever, um, but there's it's it's a haunting build of music. There's a really really like almost scary um, low piano notes, and then You've got the harmony over Tony's uh, Terry, step away, please. The kindest ever request to step away from a dying man in the history of anything. Um, it's it's beautiful. It's absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. While this is going on with uh, Terry Kim, we have with Jack. They they discover who Alexis is and realize that. Someone on Palmer's staff, Elizabeth, actually has not just knows him, but apparently has been having an affair or some sort of relationship with with him, and um, and actually was meeting with him that day, and and so and so that that builds this this whole situation here where they they create this sting operation in Alexis's hotel room to be able to uh, try to find out what's going on to get some more information. They weren't necessarily trying to catch him at that particular time. And Jack, Jack did his Jack thing of, hey, let's take this innocent 
civilian person and put them in the room with a with a mass <laughs> the room with a mass murderer and assume that they're going to be okay and, <laughs> and sane through the whole situation and things like that because she's been trained for it apparently and and so so the so, so that situation obviously goes sour but one thing I do love as we get into this is we have uh, the the second meeting between Jack and Aaron. And to me, that's really good because Aaron is one of my top characters. I don't remember if I mentioned Aaron um, a couple weeks ago when we were talking about our favorite characters, but he is definitely um, near the top as one of my favorites. And so so this is definitely one of those times when when I <coughs> took notice of that. I mean, in terms of Elizabeth Nash... <laughs> Mason is particularly um, insistent on trying to get her out of the doing this. Jack is fairly happy to go along with it. And then Elizabeth <coughs> does just be like, no, no, this is, this is the thing I need to do for my Senator. Um, it's, it's a great, there's a great line in episode 17. Uh, Jack says, we'll be right across the hall and you know, we'll be in there before anything could possibly happen. It's just knowing, knowing what comes after it, it's impossible not to laugh when I heard that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a good episode. I think actually this one and it, and it's a good, it's a, I mean, it's a great sequence actually the, it, it takes up one act, um, one whole act of Alexis coming back to the room and the very slow tense build of, okay, she needs to plant this tracking device without, uh, sorry, listening device, um, without getting caught um, and you always feel like at every moment it's going to happen. And then there is a point where she, well, she rejects Jack's phone call, doesn't she? She, she is meant to leave the room and she doesn't. And then suddenly the tension becomes something different. What's going to happen next? Um, it's, it's stunningly built. I must say, um, really, really impressive. <sighs> It's a sting operation, you know, led by led by CTU. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> what what could possibly go wrong? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was set up to fail from the moment Jack proposed it. It was it was set up to it was set up to get somebody either killed or kidnapped. It was, and and Jack. You know, he was insistent on it in the beginning. And then, you know, he made sure to ask her a couple of times, I think, are you sure you want to do this? And she's like, yes, yes, I want to do this. And, of course, Palmer was livid. (laughs) Palmer wanted no part of that. And throughout the entire scene, you could tell, even with no music playing, you could tell just the, the tenseness of the scene was 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 building. Like the the way that Elizabeth was talking and you know you could you could tell because Alexis, you know, Alexis made a compliment. Um, I forget exactly what he said, and she said she said something like How would you know that? We barely spend any time together and the only time we've spent together has been in bed. <laughs> and that that's what should have triggered the red flags to Alexis that <laughs> something's not right here. 
<laughs> okay, she's never given me as much as a, a, a backhanded insult, you know, the entire time we've been together. Now, all of a sudden, she's staring daggers in, in, into my soul. <laughs> so, and then you see Jack and Nina looking at the monitor, and you know something's going to happen. You just don't know what, and you don't know when. But you can tell the suspense was building, even with even as quiet as it was, you could tell that the suspense was building. And as soon as she ignored that first phone call, I knew that either her or Alexis was leaving that room on a stretcher. I didn't know which one it was going to be, <laughs> but I knew one of them was leaving on a stretcher. And you could, you could tell that even though she wanted to do this for the senator, you could tell that she had her own motivations for doing this because she felt betrayed. She felt, you know, deceived by this man and, you know, God bless them, but women are vengeful creatures. <laughs> okay. So, you know, they, they say, they say, you know, they, the popular saying is hell has no fury like a woman scorned. <laughs> and I think that was never more evident than in that scene with, uh, with Nash and Alexis. I mean, it's an interesting sequence from that point of view because you can see them both trying to play each other the whole time. I mean, Alexis, we, we know that Alexis is going to kill her at the end of this sequence. If, if Elizabeth doesn't know anything, say it was like it was two hours before, and she's gone into that room all, you know, wanting to see her, her boyfriend, whatever, at the end of that scene, before he leaves the hotel room, he kills her. It's as simple as that. And we know equally what Alexis doesn't, that Elizabeth Nash is going to spy on him. Um, and we see her, We see them both try to play each other. We see Elizabeth's anger towards him. She's not very good at covering that up. Um, but it's the moment, I think, it, it coincides with the phone call. It's the moment that Alexis tells her that he's fallen in love with her. And you can just see Cara Zedica's eyes sort of widen and look, like you say, scored. And just, I, th- I think that's the moment that it sort of clicked. I mean, she'd had this hatred for him in the sort of hour and a half building up to this. And this is the moment that actually... No, I'm not going to leave the room. This is not going to happen. He's not. I'm not letting him hurt me like this, betray me like this, and be allowed to walk out of it. It's simple as that, really. Yeah, and there, there's one other kind of plot line that that I think we need to talk about today, and that is with the whole thing with Palmer's family, the whole drama that's being there. And so in this, this part particularly, we see where um, Ferragamo has been murdered and Carl has planted evidence that would implicate Keith in that. And so Keith takes it upon himself to, uh, to be able to get the information from him. So he, he, he gets himself wired by himself um, and doesn't tell others that he's what he's doing. And, uh, and he, and he gets that. I mean, it's smart from Keith, isn't it? I mean, it's it completely, it's super risky to go and tape this guy who has killed people. And he's currently trying to frame you for murder. Um, not that he knows that at that point, 
but it is it is smart to go to speak to Carl, find out what's going on, and record him there. So actually, his father will have evidence. Um, <coughs> and uh, and the whole thing culminates in Palmer coming clean, as he was going to in the morning at the breakfast, as he was going to at various points during the day, or have it revealed by Maureen Kingsley or whatever it was. He's now decided that this is the point where they've got this evidence. This has to stop. This has to end. This has to. Come, we have to come clean. The same reasoning for this now as it was this morning, um, and it and it's it's generally great. I mean, Dennis Haysbert is I, I maintain the best actor on this show. He by by far he's so so good. Um, he's got that gravitas. He's got that that deep, almost commanding voice that it feels like he needs to have. But he's also got that that sensitive side, and we see both of these when he's having the dinner with his family and then the press conference later in that hour. Um, it, it's, it's superb end to the storyline. There is a couple of things worth highlighting. I think one, one issue particularly, um, but first Sherry, uh, I think you've, you've noted here, Joel, um, that all of these things that Sherry keeps doing, uh, sorry, Josh, um, all of these things that Sherry keeps doing, trying to help the family, um, not so sure that's true. We'll come. We'll come to that a lot more next week. I think um, Joel mm-hmm. has his hand head in his hands. Um, but the other problem with it, the the only real problem I think with this storyline is the fact that it takes until episode nineteen for Nicole's take on any of this. This whole thing began with her because of what the horrible crime that happened to her, and it takes up until twenty minutes before the entire storyline ends because it does end with the press conference where David comes clean. It takes until 20 minutes before that for her input on the situation for her to actually feel like she matters in the storyline, which I think is a bit of a misstep, but the rest of it works very well. I think that, uh, these episodes, especially episodes 14 through 19 is when you really started to see, Sherry for who she is and who she would become, um, which is vindictive, um, a thorn. Um, she says that at the end of the day, she says that she was only doing it to protect David and protect the family. But when you really think about it, she was really just trying to protect herself because David, you know, even though she says he couldn't have done it without her and, you know, we're going to be in the white house and all of that. David's essentially her meal ticket. Um, and she wants to protect that, um, at all costs. And we saw that, you know, at a, a little bit, later um in the season with her and and patty and that whole triangle drama that that happened later on in the season but at the end of the day sherry really just wanted to protect her meal ticket because she wanted to be in the white house just as much as david did and she was willing to put anybody's life at risk and cut any corners that she could possibly cut to make that happen. 
Cherry doing Cherry saying what she's doing this for her family is the biggest lie that anyone tells themselves or anyone else during this entire season. Mm-hmm. There's a great scene just before they go down, David goes down to the press conference where Keith and Nicole tell him how much they love him and you know they're supporting him, they're with him on this. They're standing shoulder to shoulder. And Cherry tells him that he, she's always like that tight on him. And I think that just that 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 sort of perfectly reflects where Cherry is. She yes, okay, she wants to protect her family, fine. But like you say, she is doing it for herself. She wants this ticket into the White House. And ultimately she doesn't she she has her own way of thinking about things and no one's gonna change her mind. She she thinks something and she is set on it, and no one <clears throat> having any other opinion is acceptable. Everything else is wrong. It's as simple as that. And in that moment, I, th- I think, you know, we, we see lots of moments where this happens over the next five episodes, but it is, I feel, that moment where Sherry truly loses David, and that's it. That's the end of them in that moment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah as you said, I made a comment about that, and it, it's just crazy all the things that she does. And so you have... Jack and Dave on one side when, or, or, or mostly Jack in, in this case. So Jack is willing to do whatever it takes to be able to get the job done, but then he owns up to it and will face the music. Sherry is going to do whatever it takes, whatever dirty thing needs to be done and then deny it as long as she possibly can. And so it's like two opposite ends of the spectrum with that then you got David that's in the middle wanting to do everything that's right if if a corner has to be cut we'll do it but we're gonna stand up afterwards and say okay this is what happened and and so it's you could you can just tell throughout the whole thing that this is not going to be good for the family at all all of this stuff is just getting worse and worse and worse and it's like as soon as they start to uncover and start to work on one part of it there's something else that gets uncovered and it's like okay wait a minute what what else are you doing and it's just insane the things that sherry does and of course she doesn't get any better throughout the other seasons either it's slightly staggering that you almost wonder how sherry and david ended up together when you consider how moral he is and how immoral she is that actually they've lasted 20 years together and, and it's this day that's suddenly driven a wedge between them. It, it, it kind of feels a little bit hard to believe, actually. Yeah. Yeah, and I wonder how, I mean, was she, like, so so good at hiding everything that she did that David never realized how manipulative and cunning and whatever she is? To where now it's like, okay, wait a minute. You're, you've been doing all this for all these years, and it, it's just insane. And, yeah. I think, I, we, think he, I, think he, I think he knew that, you know, she may not be as stand-up as, you know, we're led to believe. But I think the, when he found out that she covered up essentially a murder, that – when he found that out, I think that's when, you know, things started to become a little bit more clear. I think that was really the, the last straw for him. Um, because, you know, if you want to cut a few corners here and there, whatever, as long as you own up to it. But covering up, when he found out that she covered up a murder, I think that's when the wheels started to come off for that relationship. 
Yeah. And so as we wrap up this episode today, we're ending with Jack and Mason. Um, well, Jack had, and the CTU team had followed up on a lead after um, Alexis Drazen was, was stabbed. And Jack was able to answer the, the phone, which it's nice and convenient how the phone rang right after all that happened. And Jack answered the phone, hoping that he might be able to catch a break, and they caught a break. And Jack posed as Alexis, and as a result, discovered that there was going to be power turned off at a certain address in Saugus. And so then Jack and Mason follow up on that. Uh, Mason doesn't really think that there's really going to be anything that, that – takes place and and jack's like no there's definitely something here and so they they follow up on that and that's where we're going to pick it up next week when we come back on the podcast is from there to the end of the season and so a lot of interesting dynamics that come into play here in the end as well and so definitely looking forward to it so thank you bradley and joel for uh joining us and sharing your insight if we can call it Any, that. <laughs> anytime, Josh. You know it's 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 a little after two o'clock in the uh, in the beautiful state of Georgia. Um, I just got off work not too long ago. I'm working on about an hour's worth of sleep, but you know I'm here. I'm here. I'm present. I'm giving my analysis, which is more than I can say for some people. You know that name starts with an M and rhymes with Stark. Um, but I'm here just like I am every week. Uh, and when that person who's will remain nameless, but rhymes with Stark, uh, wants to join us, he is more than welcome to uh, take time out of his busy schedule. It only took <laughs> four episodes. <laughs> which okay. actually is about three and nine-tenths of an episode longer than I thought it was going to take. So fair play. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, well, I, I I I forgot the first week, the second the second week, I let it I let it slip. I had intended on doing it, and then the the story just flowed to the point to where I didn't have time to do it. And I I felt like this week I felt like Josh was going to try to cut me off, but I'm glad I'm glad he let me go with it because I I said I was going to get it out this week. I'm, I was going to get it out before our final episode. <laughs> Cutting insight as ever from John Wood. <laughs> as always. All right. Well, well, we will see you next week and uh, send us your feedback. Uh, if you have any feedback that you want to share regarding season one, we're wrapping up the last couple episodes next week uh, specifically in regard to that. But if you have any feedback on any of the episode we would love to be able to hear that as well so reach out to us you can check out the website at 24faithful.com and leave us a message we appreciate it thank you we'll see you next week